Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Very cool. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be here with you. Love this community. It's really, really fun to be here. An honor to be here. If it's your first time, I'm Samuel. Nice to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and uh, I got a wife and four kids. Her name's Jessica. And my four kids, Brixton, Brightly, Presley, and Monroe. And, uh, and uh, I love them. Love them, love them, love them so much. Love this community. And um, uh, looking forward to all the things God's going to do in this community. Uh, we, are in, uh, we are in the fifth week uh, of January. And actually, we haven't been doing a theme this month at all. So it's been fun, it's been different, and today I want to talk about uh, the frontier. I want to talk about the unknown spaces uh, that God brings us to in our relationship and walk with Him. And some of us have a gifting or a personality that is actually leadership for others as a community or uh, in business and such that brings people into the unknown spaces together collectively. Uh, not everybody is gifted like that or built like that, um, but all of us have a personal relationship with Jesus, which requires us uh, and actually puts a demand on us to understand what it means to navigate the unknown spaces uh, with God. Uh, This is a walk of faith, uh, so we have to have an understanding of how we relate to personal frontier spaces in our life. Uh, So this is unknown spaces, unexplored, unestablished uh, spaces, and I know a lot of people think Star Trek when they think the frontier uh, so we'll just get that out of the way. I know you're thinking Star Trek, uh, and, uh, but there is, a, there is a personal frontier space uh, emotionally, intellectually, uh, skill sets, mindsets, paradigms, spiritually speaking, uh, that God is absolutely 100% leading you to explore with him. Uh, it's a really great part about God is he brings us into the unknown spaces, and it requires faith for us to walk with him. So we're going to be talking about that today, but I've got a little story to open us up with, which is a story about Monroe. Uh, My daughter, she's three years old, Monroe. She's wonderful. Last week I told you about how she called her sister the worst, 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 worst sister. So I thought I'd redeem her a little bit this week, and uh, I got a positive story for her. And uh, the story goes like this. We were hiking yesterday. And uh, I was hiking with Monroe, not everybody else that was, you know, going up the mountain real quick uh, at a great fun pace. Uh, and I decided to be with my three-year-old daughter as we, lit- we were hiking up the mountain. This wasn't one of those flat trails and dirt that kind of goes straight and people call it hiking, but it's my worst nightmare. Uh, this is, uh, the, we were going up, boulder hopping and stuff like that going up. And, and so that was really fun. And uh, my son and everybody sh- started shooting up the shooting up the hill, and I was with Monroe, which means we covered probably in about an hour and a half, maybe 50 feet going up, uh, and initially I was like, oh yeah, this is really slow, like every pebble is an opportunity for failure, uh, every, every kind of little medium-sized boulder, it's going to take a second, you know, uh, but then it, it started to get really enjoyable because then she was you know, at first she was on my shoulders, and then I convinced her to be on the ground, and so she was kind of hiking up this hill, and so I started to encourage her on, like, even the little things that she wouldn't do initially. I was like, oh, good job, baby, that's awesome. So she starts doing more stuff and starts doing more stuff, so I'm telling her, hey, great job. Oh, yeah, that's really good, and she had, like, breakthrough moments where she would do something, 
She wasn't doing it. I was like, dude, that's amazing. Authentic enthusiasm. And uh, I remember about a little bit at the beginning, you know, I'm encouraging her a little bit. But at one point she goes, she goes, hey, dad, am I doing a good job? And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, sweetie, you do an amazing job. And, uh, and so I kept on affirming her and telling her, good job, sweetie. And we're going up, and she's getting more bold, and this is getting exciting. And then at one point, maybe five minutes later, I just hear her self-talk and go, wow, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> and it was just so cool to see, like, the affirmation of her father uh, echoed in her own self-perspective within five minutes, you know. And that was so fun, you know. And, and it, of course, I'm a pastor and I preach, so it immediately reminded me of my Heavenly Father and the way He speaks to me uh, and the way He leads me into spaces that I've never been before. He, uh, he tells me who I am. He tells me and He affirms me. He communicates me. He gives me courage. Uh, and especially in places that I've never been before. Like Monroe, Monroe's never done those things before. And so she was discovering her her potential. She was discovering a more confidence in her physical body's ability to do things. So I want to talk about this frontier space, this unknown space, because we all deal with it in our life, uh, the unknown spaces. Uh, and you'll never get the luxury of, uh, of having a relationship with God that doesn't require you to walk into the unknown with him. Uh, no matter what season of life you're in, uh, God will handle with you unknown spaces. You saw uh, with Israel's plight and journey, uh, Egypt, desert, promised land. And we should be able to relate to these things. Uh, the things you knew and understood in Egypt uh, will not be the same things you know and grow to understand in the desert. And in the desert won't be the same things you grow to understand in the promised land. Or you look at Joseph's journey or any other biblical story arc, character arc, and you see that uh, God leads us into places that require us to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him, and he directs our path. Which, we're going to study Philippians 3 today in this, in this paradigm, in this concept of the unknown and walking with God into the unknown. What's your unknown, and how do you walk with God in it? Do you have that skill set? Do you have that knowledge or understanding? Do you have, and this is the most important thing, I think, for Philippians 3, do you have the ability to harness confidence, not from your knowledge or former experience, but from God? This is a paradigm, and this is an equation for confidence. I know many a confident people when things are going well, but not many a confident people when everything's falling apart. And so this ability to harness confidence when your environment isn't great, uh, when everything isn't going great, it requires a different equation for confidence. So we're going to jump into the word today, Philippians 3.8, and we're going to begin to see what this biblical narrative is of harnessing confidence uh, in God no matter what space you're in, known or especially today, unknown spaces. So how to have confidence in frontier spaces for yourself. So in verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So I want to highlight to you that knowing element there. Does your confidence come in from what you've known in your history, your vocational experience, your relational experience, your past 
knowledge base, I want to invite you away from the confidence that uh, comes from past experience and knowledge and invite you to rooting your confidence in knowing Christ. This is alternative uh, methods of confidence. This is an alternative approach. Uh, it's pretty typical that we harness confidence from what we've known. When I used to play sports, basketball in the past, if I had beat somebody one-on-one -on -one pretty soundly, I harnessed confidence that I could do it again because of my former experience. But then to have the confidence going into a new opponent, into a new space, and still have that confidence even though I don't know how good they are or what the outcome will be, that's a different equation for confidence. And so when it's talking about our life right now in Scripture, there is this surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So my confidence doesn't come in what I've known in my past. My confidence comes in knowing Christ. And this switch is subtle, perhaps. Uh, we still want to know, but my confidence invitation for you is to take confidence in knowing Christ. That when you live in Christ and he's led you to a place, you can take confidence that if he led you there, there was a reason. So your confidence comes in trust in God. Now you might have to grow in this space. You might have to evolve. You might have to shed some things. But the confidence comes in that my commitment is to live in Christ Thus, my confidence comes from my residency in him. So I might be going into unknown territory, but my residency, my vehicle is not unknown. It's Christ. Isn't that fun? So you're like driving the vehicle of Christ or, well, he's got you in it and he's driving. <laughs> it's probably more accurate, self-driving, right? Uh, and, and so you, you're in this vehicle and you're going to places you've never been before, but you trust the vehicle. You trust the leadership. You trust that which you've chosen to live in, and it leads you to cool places, unknown places. And so you see that, and it's in knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, in knowing Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What I thought was really important to recognize here is that Christ is actually the prize, not the means to the prize. You might be like me at different points in your Christianity. You might have tried to use Christ as a means to your other objective. Have you found yourself at times trying to ask God to give you his power so you could achieve your flesh goal? And sometimes we think of Christ in this way. Hey, God, come into my life. Do great things so I could be rich. Hey, God, come into my life. Do great things so I could be loved by everybody. Hey, God, come into my life and, and do great things so that people will think I'm really amazing. And we, we really got to take a look inside and go, okay, am I actually making Christ my prize? Or is he just the means of which I am trying to get to my true heart desire? And this is something I, can, I couldn't really pin you for. You're going to have to pin yourself on this. I could, you can invite me into your life to do a consultation to tell you whether or not Christ is your prize truly or something else is, but you could do it yourself. You could take a look within. David talked about this in the Psalms, search my heart, show me if there's any wicked way that exists. 
So ask God very simply, very plainly, are you my prize or are you just my means to my true prize? Now, if he isn't your true prize, then you're going to find yourself quickly slipping out of residency in him. Because your objective will lead you away from that place of residency, that place of living. So whatever it is that your true prize is, is what will lead you and determine your destination. So uh, for the example of this, uh, I will choose to live in Christ and whatever the outcome of that choice in terms of the fruitfulness of my life, I trust with God. Now, if you have specific fruit that you want, specific outcomes that you want, and those are more important to you than residency in Christ, you're going to leave residency in Christ to pursue those things. So if you're living in Christ and he's producing fruit in you, but it's not fruit that you want, then you've got a relationship disconnect. Uh, do you remember that movie, The Karate Kid? So, so he gets, the, which one, the first one? Uh, the, so he gets the kid, and he's got him doing stuff, right? Painting the thing and washing the thing. Uh, wash on, wash what's it, what's it? Wax on, wax off. He's waxing, yeah. So in the kid's mind, he doesn't really see the big picture of what's being developed in him. So he's got different objectives of what he wants. And so the tutelage, the teaching that is happening to him, uh, in his mind is incredibly, it's significant waste of time. And we could do the same thing with God who has a much larger perspective of our life. And we could get in a moment where God leads us to a place and we could be like, God, this is a grandiose waste of time. I've got some real things I need to take care of, some real bullies of my life, some real income to fix. I've got some real issues that I need to solve. I'm alone. I'm failing. These things are really bad and they cause pain in my life. So choosing to stay in Jesus, even when there isn't an immediate solve, can be incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. But this is why we must create this spiritual economics in our head that is being said here, for, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In our minds, we must essentially begin to embrace that my utmost and highest value is to live in Jesus. And every other thing that will lead me away, draw me other away, is something that I have to discount as rubbish in the face of gaining Christ. So you take all of your life goals, all of these different things, and you put them in the appropriate places to which they should live, which is subservient to God. So we shift our prize. Rather than Christ, so I can do this, that, and the other, Christ is my prize. Whatever fruit comes from that residency, I'm super excited by so if I thought living in Christ meant that I was going to be famous, and then as I start to live in Christ, I don't become famous, but other things start to happen, I embrace those things as beautiful. And I actually take that intoxicating, self-glorifying image and vision of fame, and I let it die. Isn't that exciting? I've found that choosing to live in Jesus has you find out 
as you find out the things that lived inside of you that were of Jesus. Right? So you move in to Jesus' house, and all of a sudden you've got all of these strangers you're trying to bring into his house. All of these friends, sometimes demons, were like, hey, these are all my buddies, man. And you try and bring fear into his house, and there becomes an issue. Because God's perfect love casts out fear, and you're like, hey, but I live with this guy. This is my friend. I've made covenant with this fear. It's provided for me. It loves me. It protects me. No bad people get to get, come into my life. This fear has done a great thing for me. Also, it's paid my bills, this fear of failure. So I actually got, like, I need this fear. And so you immediately begin to see a residency issue, which is you're trying to sublease God's house to something else that's not of God. There's a real problem here because these things don't coexist. That the nature of God delivers us from evil. It doesn't allow it to cohabitate in him. He wants you to live in him. He doesn't want your demons to live in him. He wants you to have residency in him. He doesn't want you to compromise his nature and bring fear into the place where perfect love is supposed to reign and rule. And so, of course, he can't allow this. His perfect love casts out fear. So if you want to hang on to the fear, then you and fear got to go to the same place. If he's casting out fear and you're more in love with fear than you are his love, then you're going to have to go with the fear. All right, cool, awesome. So I would recommend that your roommate be Jesus, not fear. Fear's not a great roommate, guys. It's really not a great house. I would recommend against it for sure. And in verse, uh, it goes, in order that I may gain Christ. Christ is the objective and the goal. And be found. And so be found. I, I love this word found. John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. And then in verse 9 it says, abide in my love. So if you're being found in God, it means that you've chosen to live in God. Like if you're looking for me, if you come literally trying to find Samuel, hopefully when you find me, you find me in the house of God. And I don't mean this sanctuary, right? I mean like the spiritual location of residency in Jesus. That this is my home. I live in Jesus. I have my being here. It's beautiful. I've chosen this home. I want this home. I love this home. And if this home means that I don't get to do what my flesh wants to do, I love the home of Jesus more than I do the outcome of my flesh. Man, this is so fun. I love this, man. I love this. So, and be found in him. Be found in him. It's a residency thing. Uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is why I read this scripture for the frontier space. is because the righteousness of God depends on faith. Why does it depend on faith? Because you should have observed by now there's certain behaviors of God that you just can't produce in your own humanity. Have you seen these? Have you found your weak points? Weak points meaning the points in you that you can't produce the behavior of God without God. Have you recognized these? You could do personality tests, they'll tell you them. You could do gift tests, they'll tell you them. The Bible says for the gifts, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Or they come without repentance. Which means, interestingly enough, there are things that you could actually do, behaviors like God, 
that you can do without God's help. Isn't that fun? Maybe not. So, but the things that you aren't gifted to do in God, those are the things that are of God's behavior that you're going to require God to produce in you. So, I can have courage without God. I can have faith without God. Like, I have a gift of faith and courage, right? So, I can do these things without God. But, but kindness is a real struggle with, for me without God. Compassion and empathy, real struggle without God. Real struggle. I need God in order to have those things. I can win a battle for sure. I can pick up a sword, you know. My favorite verse used to be, the heavens suffer violent and the violent take it by force. Because it was so understandable to me. You take a sword and you swing it around in prayer. You take a sword and you swing it around in worship. That's what you do. And my personality, my giftedness taught me and showed me, like, that's, that's a part of God. That's who God is. And then you start to lean in and walk into unknown spaces you've never been before. You don't have gifts that teach you what to do there. And you're like, whoa, what does intimate worship look like? That's weird. <laughs> why am I crying in worship? Have you ever cried in worship and wondered why? Like God was touching you, and then your brain was like, you're, so, you're tough. I don't know why you're crying. I would have this happen to me, and at first, when it first started to happen, I was like, this is wild. This is wild. Somebody's doing witchcraft around me. Somebody's got like a voodoo doll somewhere and doing some weird demonic thing to me, and it's making me cry. we got to break this thing off in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, I, I start to really study what it means to be in relationship with God, and you see he's close to the brokenhearted. You see that he's actually, he brings you into places of mourning and grieving. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. There's a time to have joy and celebrate. And you actually see that God leads you into places not only of triumph, but he leads you into trial as well. He leads you into suffering, which we talk about right here. He leads you into suffering. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Woo! Let's stop there for my personality. The power of his resurrection. Come on! Isn't that Yes! And may share his sufferings. That was so simple until I read the next line. May share in his sufferings. What a wild adventure. What a wild, wild reality. So for me, that's my unknown. Embracing suffering? And some of us as Christians, we become allergic to suffering and failure because our mind and our equation for Christianity says things like victory in Jesus. Come on, victory in Jesus, right? Amen. Come on, victory in Jesus. We say things like that. We trump up the positivity of victory and breakthrough. But what's interesting to me is one of the great victories of Jesus' life was an apparent failure to die on the cross. So we love the resurrection bit. We love the resurrection bit. That's like clothed in glory, right? That's the full culminating moment. We love the promised land. We love this bit. But the bit about dying and suffering, 
What a challenge. So if we're unwilling to confront these sufferings and trials, if we're unwilling to walk into these spaces, we won't be willing to walk with God into the unknown. Because it's, it's hard for us to measure these unknown spaces. It's hard for us to wrap our intellect around it, for us to prep our emotions. The interesting thing about God leading you into the unknown is that you cannot be intellectually or emotionally driven. The Bible coins the phrase spirit-led. Now, this is the spirit of God, right, leading us into these places. So if you're an intellectual type, I'm telling you right now, this will not be a great guide into the unknown spaces. The frontier spaces, the spaces that require faith, it depends on faith, not intellect. It depends on faith. And for those of us that want to feel right about what's happening, like we want our emotions to say, yeah, this is good. We can't rely on those things to lead us into the unknown spaces. We can't. Faith is not an emotional expression alone. And sometimes it's actually completely devoid of positive emotions. Sometimes your faith walk has zero to do with pleasure. Zero. Sometimes you're walking around and you're like, this is the quintessential essence of miserable. This is terrible. It's tearing. It's awful. It's crucifixion type feelings. It's not resurrection power. It's sharing in his sufferings. And this is wild. So if you have a goal alternative to gain of Christ, you're going to walk away from this narrow place. Remember the rich young ruler? He had a goal that was alternative to being with Jesus. He had a goal of retaining his wealth, maintaining the status of his wealth. He had this goal that was greater than the goal for him of being with Jesus. Do we have goals in our life that are greater than our simple goal of being with Jesus? These will become incredibly problematic, and they'll really challenge us once we hit these unknown pockets of our journey with Jesus. If we have something that is greater, that is an idol in our life, it will lead us away from the challenge of that narrow place, from the challenge of what the unknown provokes in us. that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him in his death. This journey is about transformation. We walk into the unknown elements so that we can become the things that we don't already know. This is really, really important. Like, I know some things. You know some things about what it looks like to behave in God, to be mature in God, to express godliness. But this is about transformation, becoming something that we aren't yet. And this could provoke insecurity in us because for some of us, our confidence comes in what we've already been formed in, not what we're going to be formed in. We must embrace this insecure, unstable gap between Egypt, the place of bondage, and the promised land, the place of fully realized growth, and prosperity and fruitfulness. There might be some bare years there. There might be some really thin years there. But we should never talk about this space in between bondage and really being transformed into his image in specific areas. We should never call that desert space a space that is absent of God. 
I've always taken a beef with this idea that people are like, I'm in a real desert season right now. And like, I haven't heard from God in a while. And like, I haven't felt his presence. I feel really distant from God. I'm like, you're not describing the deserts in the Bible, right? Like, let's take a look at the deserts in the Bible. Israel brought through the desert by a cloud by day and a fire by night. Manna from heaven, six days of the week. We're talking about a real presence of God, a real manifestation of God in a desert season. So don't tell me a spiritual desert is one where God is absent. That is a lie that is unbiblical and it's anti-Christ. Because in the Bible it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it doesn't say, except when you're in a desert season and I'm testing you. It doesn't qualify that statement. It's an unconditional presence of God. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of wild. That means he's present while you're doing your worst, most shameful acts. And you should reflect on that because he still loves you. I think a great exercise, I think school of ministries have done it before, and I've done it in a school of ministry class before, is think of your most shameful act, still to this day, that carries the most shame for you. Think of it, write it down, and now see it through the lens of God still loves you. God was present and still loves you. What was your most shameful act? Was it adultery? Was it some kind of crime? Was it damaging somebody in some way? Was it murder? Like, what was your greatest, most shameful act? Becoming like him in his death. There's a, there's a specificity to this. In his death. And I think we love the transformation that is in his resurrection. That is in his life. But there's a becoming like Jesus that takes place square, smack dab in the expression of his death. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to go die for your sins, right? I'm not saying that. But there is a code. There is a sharing with Jesus that we must do in these places of suffering. We must learn to do them and we must learn to grab confidence uh, in these places. And what is that confidence that we need to grab? Well, I think it's in verse 12. It says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So for those of us that would self-label ourselves perfectionists, I want to be real clear. I'm inviting you away from that land. I'm inviting you away from the confidence and peace that comes from perceived perfection. Confidence, when you are in Jesus, needs to come from that simple fact that you're in Jesus. In this scripture right here, his confidence comes from that Jesus, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he's describing his confidence is sourced from Christ's ownership of him. Let's think about that. Um, if, if we're Christ's business, 
We're his LLC, and he owns us. We've made him the Lord of our life. We're like, here go, you can have my life. We signed over our life to God. We give him our life. Now, we need to do this every day biblically. Pick, pick up your cross daily. So we need to resubscribe to this, you know, magazine every single day. But nonetheless, if we think of it through this scope, Christ owns us. Our confidence is sourced from that idea, from that reality that Christ owns me. You begin to see things differently. You begin to see the idea that, okay, so if I'm in Christ and he owns me, I'm in this space right now, well, why does God have me here? If he owns me truly, then my confidence comes from the fact that if and when God owns something, he's got a, a brilliant plan for what he's doing. Like, I, I have a business where I rent out cars in Turo. I have a plan for my cars. I have a plan for expansion. I have a plan for these things. I have a plan. And my plan isn't to run my business into the ground and see it never do anything good. So why, God, in his infinite wisdom, would he make a plan for his ownership of us to lead us to abject failure and destruction? It's against the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for your life. Plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future. So if we believe that God owns us and we believe that God has plans of prosperity for us, then why do we doubt and question the place he's brought us to? This should cure our inability to think long term. So if we think of ourselves as living in Jesus and being patient in the fruitfulness process, then we should be patient with God even while we haven't yet produced the fruit that we want to produce, that there is a process with God. And he says it right here. Hey, I haven't, I haven't already obtained this. I'm not perfect in this. I haven't been made perfect in it. But I'm still confident. Why am I confident? Because Christ is perfecting me. My commitment is to live in Christ and to continually and perpetually subject myself to his authoring hands. And this is where we've got to repent. This is where we've got to confront fear. And this is where we've got to be willing to move on from things that we don't want to move on from. What's he say? He says, I, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Press on. This is such a fun language that he begins to introduce. And in 13, it kind of continues on with this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. I run into these things every time I preach. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. For some of you, you haven't learned to move on from things, and you know how to camp. So, so, okay, so when do you stop so that you can reflect and heal Selah, right? There is a process with God where he goes, hey, yield, stop, Selah, think, stop, stop, yield. And then there's a time where he's like, come on, hey, it's not time for that anymore, it's time to move on. So Egypt, it wasn't a time to stop, stay, and fight, it was a time to move, time to go. When they're at the foot of the promised land, hey, it's not a time to camp right now. It's not a time to stay in safety. It's a time to move into the land I've called you to. 
So there's a time, Ecclesiastes says, well, there's a time for all kinds of things, right? So how do you know when you should stop, lick your wounds, heal, get deliverance, things like that? And when do you know when it's time to move on? Forget what was behind you, let go of it. It's simple. Where's God? Abide in me and I in you. You don't have to figure out the complexity of all of that. You need to figure out where residency is with God. Where's God? Where's God? If you're camping and you look around and you can't see God, guess what? He's not camping anymore. If you're sprinting and you're running, you're like, where's God? You look back and he's 100 miles back. Guess what? He wanted you to stop. Go back. Hey, go wherever God is. Go wherever he's moving. Go wherever he's flowing. Do whatever he's saying. Act the way he's acting. Like this is the quintessential foundation of our life. Jesus set it up real well. I do as I see my father doing. I am not Heavenly Father to Monroe. I am her father. So right now, hopefully, I reflect the heart and the love of Heavenly Father. I do my best on it. So when I'm teaching her to have courage and confidence to face the unknown, and she begins to get confidence from my coaching and affirmation, this is very much how Father works with us, right? He's like, hey, move on. Forget those things that lie behind and press on towards the upward call. Upward call. Upward call. You shouldn't think of call in this situation like, hey, I'm called to be a missionary youth pastor. That is absolutely not an accurate representation of what this is. The call of God is come up here, come up now, my beloved. Be with me. Spend time with me. Love me. Stay with me. Move with me. Act like I act. Go where I go. Say what I say. It's the voice of God speaking to us to intimacy. It's the voice of God and or the hand of God knocking on the door of our heart, waiting for us to let him in to those intimate, deeper places. We shouldn't think of it as like, oh, it's the upper call of God. I need to go be a missionary now. No, it's like, where is God today? Where are you today? Are you in him today? Is he in you today? Have you made yourself yielded to him in ownership that you move as he moves? You speak as he speaks. You be as he bees. Sometimes a made-up word is the best word, I promise you. I promise. You'd have to preach a lot, I think, to understand it, but the made-up word is so good. Forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. So sometimes this one scares us because the straining, the pressing, it feels like it's striving. It feels like it's not trusting God. What it's pressing ahead towards is the movement of God. So it's not pressing ahead to our own objective goals, ours, our subjective goals, I should say. It's actually pressing ahead to the movement and the pace and the image of Jesus in our life. So if you find yourself striving, it's not because you're yearning to be in residency in God. It's because you're yearning for your own fleshly outcomes. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never find language in the Bible that invites you, provokes you, or leads you out of residency in Jesus. You won't find it. You'll find him communicates to us in scripture the things that dislocate us 
the things that lead us away, the things that tempt us away, and those are the things you absolutely have to say no to, confront, and repent of. The goal here is not perfection, so failure should not intimidate you. Failure is just an opportunity to learn and grow. That's what I tell my kids all the time. When I'm beating them at board games, relentlessly, and they're like, I'm not good at this, Dad. I'm like, no, 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 it's not that, buddy. First of all, your dad's really good at it. Second of all, you're learning. You're learning, and that's good. You're learning, and that's good. Failure is totally part of the journey. You're going to fail to realize things you wanted to realize. And sometimes, this is going to really complicate it for you. Sometimes you didn't actually fail Jesus and what he wanted from you. You just failed your flesh goals and desires. And sometimes you're like, thank God. And you realize it. You realize how, how fleshly some of your goals were. You're like, thank God I didn't achieve that. Thank God that he led me away from those things. So now, pff, I don't even want that anymore. I don't even need it. I don't even care about it. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting the known. Forgetting what's established. This is a partnership with God, and it's a skill relationally that we must have. I, I, and I'm going to finish with this, but there was this... Um, in my marriage with Jess, we've been married several years, enough years to have four kids. Um, uh, I was good at some things going into it, relationally, in marriage. And there were some things that I was wildly under-equipped for. Um, and I recognize that I, I had to learn new relationship skill sets. And I, I think marriage is sometimes a really good image for guys and or gals to really understand what God's doing in us in the fullness. Like there's things you're not good at. And so what I would advise you against is, is saying things like, well, this is just who I am. Take it or leave it, buddy. I'd advise you against saying that in your marriage. I'd advise you against saying that in your relationship with God. Finding the confidence and not being what God is shaping in us yet, that confidence in that place of unrealized potential or unrealized transformation, it doesn't come from already being it and already having it. It comes from a trust in God that he started this thing in me, he's going to complete it. So I could fail a bunch of times. I could be miserable at it for a bunch but I'm growing every time. I'm learning every time. I'm growing more humble every time. And sometimes it takes me like 400 times of failing in the same way before I humble up. And I go, oh boy, that stinks. Well, I'm going to stop protecting that behavior and being defensive over it. I'm going to forfeit my right to express that weakness. I'm going to yield myself to the transforming hands of God and I'm going to uncomfortably walk out new behaviors and new language. Have you been taught new reconciling language? You know, like, I understand you. I hear you. Have you been taught new, like, conflict resolution language? When you first put it on, you're like, I never want to wear this shirt again. 
It feels weird. It feels foreign. It feels like you're talking somebody else's words. But you're learning something new. It's unknown. It doesn't mean that you're not ever supposed to become it or develop it just because it's unnatural at first. Because if you want a Christianity that just reinforces what you are naturally good at, well, you probably came to the wrong church, to be honest with you. I'm not really going to invite you or and or be wanting to go on my own path of affirming Christianity that just affirms what I'm already good at. I'm going to invite you and I'm going to walk into spaces with you of real uncomfortable growth patterns. Saying yes to Jesus in the unknown. Saying yes to his journey and his walk. And trusting his voice. Learning to really hear his voice. My son Brixton told me something yesterday that we're going to pray to finish. He said, he said, uh, I was putting climbing holds on his climbing wall. And I had my drill, and he wanted to do it without me. And I was like, hey, buddy, I, I want to show you because you can push the T-nut out the back, and you, I got to show you, you know. And so, so I told him this, though, like that day. And then at, while I was doing it, and I was showing him what could happen, he's like, man, I'm really glad I didn't try it on my own. I was going to try it on my own. But, you know, something told me, like, God told me not to do that. And I was like, that's, an, that's interesting. I didn't ask you to think that. And I was like, what do you mean God told you? He's like, Dad, God speaks to me. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, buddy. I, that's awesome. Like, yeah, he really loves us, and he speaks to us. He gives us guidance and wisdom. He's like, oh, yeah. Like, honestly, when I can't find something, you know, like, I ask God, and then he tells me where it's at. And then it's there. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, I wish I could take credit for giving him this faith expression with God. Like, I didn't tell him to ask God for where his lost things are. Like, it meant something to him. And we told him that God loves him, so he talks to God about the things he cares about. So loving father relates to my son in a way that's just so beautiful, right? And I, and I said, it's a trust in God. I can't find this thing. I, really want to find this thing. Hey, God, where's this thing at? Hey, God, should I do this thing there? Like, what does it look like? And, and there's this trust in God that, yeah, I know that's elementary, and he's a kid, so it's a kid version of the thing. Some of our problems are much more complex and much more dynamic in terms of the things that need to be solved in it, many layers of problems. But there's this simplicity of trusting God's voice. There's this simplicity of I'll go where you say, I'll do what you say. That's my first objective. That's my prize, is to be in you. No matter the outcome, I choose you. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.